0: Welcome to Excellent Questions. Um, Could you say a little bit about, you know, what your education was like growing up in uh, Nigeria? And, um, you know, what, what were you what was your career, um, aspiration at the time?
1: Thanks for having me. Um, in, during, in high school, I had wanted to, uh, be, uh, an ambassador like representing Nigeria with other country, you know, in other countries. I knew at some point in my career, then or in my life, I was going to be running out all over the place. Um, helping the community, helping the country in this relationship. I didn't know it was going to take the path it has taken. I have a first degree in public administration from Nigeria, a master's degree in international diplomacy and um, development in Nigeria as well, and another master's degree from the University of Warwick in England. I also have a certificate in disability studies from Bow College in uh, Canada. In terms of education, I have been focused on getting a, a career. At the time I started going to, at the, at the time I left secondary school, to say I was going to work with the UN or U, uh, with these agencies, and then I vote into development, international development. But I found a calling in banking, which was very attractive and I felt more challenging, I think, at the time. So I felt this was something I could do. I have always perverted into those areas that are not typically common for people to, to get into and find some challenge in them. And that's that's what had happened to in, in the course of my career. When I have all these degrees in, um, Public administration, international relations, uh, developmental policy. Uh, I ended up being in the bank for quite a while because I really enjoyed it.
0: Hmm. What is it about international relations and banking? Basically, everyone I know who studied uh, global, uh, what's, the, what's the, there's a more general term, um, global affairs, they all work at banks what's the overlap there
1: and that's a very interesting question what people don't understand is that for you to be a great banker you need multiple skill set beyond finance beyond the ability to count money more or less or balance the book the typical thing people know about banking is you must be very good at, in, in maths and in finance and keeping money however this is one facet of human life That i believe that we tax your intelligence Tax everything about you because um you are dealing with people from all aspects of life i was a retail branch manager at some point in a typical day in my life i will meet all kinds of people so i will talk to podcasters i'll talk to journalists i'll talk to medical doctors i'll talk to um, teachers i'll talk to students I talk to contractors, I talk to the high, the politicians and the mighty, and I talk to the people who are struggling on the street. So my ability to have conversations with each of them relating in their own world, my ability to navigate all of that to move seamlessly from talking about sports, for example, with a, a footballer, to talking about the latest in discovery in medicine to talking about the current the wars that were that were probably the, you, you know in the wars that were going on around the world it was because I had a grasp of all the things that were happening globally as well as locally. So I think that's one reason why it might have it might look like people um tend to have those kind of background. Uh, I also think that when you realize how central banking is to human development, especially at, after such specialized trainings, you want to you want to sit back there and do a whole lot. You know, you know you you have been given a platform to help people to create poverty education programs, support small businesses, um, fund those who are not really nobody will look at because you believe in them. And so you're able to take people who have no um, hope as it were, especially coming from the country where I was before, you know, Nigeria, people who just had ideas, who didn't have the connection, but just because you see them, you look into their eyes and you could encourage them, you could build them up and you, you pull them on, you know, to come along that journey. And it was very, very satisfying then.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So you worked. Um, you got your first job, you worked at a bank. And, and how did you get that first job after you graduated from school? Was that through uh, networking? Did you apply to a job posting? How did that work?
1: So back home, uh, when I graduated from school, there was this change in policy. Before then, uh, banks were owned by government. So it was being privatized. So uh, that created a lot of opportunities for people um, a lot of uh, banks were opening branches and they needed people to manage those branches. So what they then did was to look for fresh graduates and give them uh, aptitude tests, uh, graduate management aptitude tests, and if you passed the aptitude test, then you go on to a series of interviews. And once you complete the series of interviews, they will recruit you and put you through their training school. So it didn't matter what your background was. They, um, all of us went through the same training school are we are taught about organizational culture, where time management, personal development, personal branding, and that sort of thing. Uh, and then they would de- deploy you after assessing what you what your personal inclination would likely be in the job, they will deploy you uh, to the areas that they were required. So that was how I was able to get the job, because I passed the test, passed the interviews, uh, and then w- came out tops. So I think I was second best in class in the training school and then they deployed. me.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So you, um, you worked in finance for a number of years and, um, I think it was, uh, must've been the nineties when you started working. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: The late nineties, uh, yeah. 2016 to, get to, to, to be honest, 2016 was when I left banking.
0: The okay. And, um, So during those years, did you move up in the same bank or did you switch uh, to a different bank?
1: I switched banks. Yeah. Um, I switched a couple of banks. Some of them were because uh, I had higher, I was offered higher responsibility, higher platforms. The other ones were because I went to England to go do my master's degree. And by the time I came back, the bank that I was managing then I was working in as a regional manager. I had gone um, had gone bust, so I had to move on to other places. But yeah, I moved around a little bit.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think it was two thousand eight or so that you that you went to England to do your masters. Um, what was the yes. the main reason why you did that? So you you were working in finance. Was your intention to stay in finance, or were you, were you still holding on to that? Um, ambition to work in uh, diplomacy or international relations
1: so there was an, an opening that came up that uh, the bank i was working with then was o- opening up um, abroad internationally mm-hmm. opening branches in other parts of africa okay. and then there was this opening that came up to coordinate all these branches and there were five of us Mm. at the time if I remember correctly there were five of us at the time and I was the most experienced of all of them but I was the person who didn't have a foreign degree and the other people all had foreign degrees right so Mm. um so I decided that this looks like close to what I'm uh, I had set out to do with my life which is again working internationally um and then still having what I'm doing now in terms of banking so I went to get the uh, I decided I was going to go upgrade my, uh, my education. Unfortunately for me, the timing was wrong. By the time I finished the program, came back, the bank had gone under.
0: Okay. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So at that time, you you pivoted to another bank. Yeah.
1: The, the thing about being a banker, especially in Africa, well, the part of Africa that I, I came from is that there are short um, supply of skilled labor. So mm-hmm. if you know what you are doing, you will not lack for jobs because, um, people will be, banks will be looking for you, especially when you have proven over time that you had what it takes to deliver the numbers. You were a performance driven person. Um, somehow they, yeah, your reputation follows you in the market. So people come to headhunt you. And so sometimes they make you these offers and you just ask yourself, why not?
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah. The uh, the thing that stood out to me is that this might not be obvious to many uh, listeners in North America is that getting a foreign degree is like currency in many places in the world. Um, you know, there's this perception that getting your degree from another country, um, like England or the U.S. or um, uh, what's what are the other big countries with uh, you know more prestigious education. Uh, you can take that back home, and and people will look at that as superior to um, education that you've that you've had locally. Uh, did you find that to be the case in Nigeria?
1: In a sense, yes. Um, uh, at, at the time that that opening came up, the only disadvantage I had was that my education was local. Mm-hmm. Okay, at that time, uh, but. Uh, Seeing that as the situation as it were, I felt again it's, it's time for me to use that opportunity to keep building on this on my profile for the international jobs I was going to do later in my life, and so I took that opportunity to go to school uh, abroad. Um, it helped a lot that it was England, so it was easy to coordinate and easy to get admission and to show clearly what I wanted to do when I finished from school. Uh, it was also very uh, important at that particular time because, just like you mentioned, it was the craze, more or less. It was the intent then to get a foreign degree. And so um, I went ahead to get it. And it helped me in the sense, by the time the bank I was working in collapsed because I had the local education, because I had a local experience. and. I have also the foreign training, uh, foreign degree, Uh, it helped me to get other um, job offers immediately.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So you continued working in banking until around 2016, and that's uh, roughly when you uh, made your move to Canada. Um, I think it was that year or the year after. Um, So tell me about that process.
1: One thing that that's not very clear, that's not very pronounced in my uh, bio, when you look at it, uh, for, for this purpose of this book, is that when I came back from England and the bank had collapsed, I told myself I wouldn't. You know, I was devastated a little bit because this was. I just thought it was going to be seamless to come in and integrate again. And then the the economy was booming. Nigerian economy was booming. The the great numbers were like eight percent per annum. And uh, we did that for over eight, four years. Okay. Schooling in England also provided me the opportunity to, to do a little bit of thinking, and I said, okay, so beyond banking, what other skills do I have? What other things do I can I do with my life as it is? And I decided to do to get into entrepreneurship. So one of one of the things that I enjoyed doing then was. Um, thinking about what kind of businesses I could set up by the time I get back home. Okay, so that would be like side gig from banking. Okay, so in 2010, I started an event planning business. So while I was in the bank, while I was running the bank, I had a, an event planning business on the side. So I used most of the experience I had as a retail banker to apply to the event planning business, and he went and he did uh, and it grew very fast. So by 20, 2016, I took, I left, the, I left banking to go concentrate on the, the business I had. And, and before my application for Canadian city, um, permanent residence was approved, and I saw the business and we came over here. And why that is important is because of what I'm doing right now. Okay? Part of why I took the decision to do what I'm doing right now is I've come into Canada, and I've also realized that um, I have a lot to contribute by being an entrepreneur, okay, than just being a worker. And I looked at it, the banking were not give me that platform to be an entrepreneur in the sense that I can't start my own bank. I can't even do, I can't even start the credit union. The process is too uh, complex and all that. However, I could work in the um, social space and still be a socially conscious entrepreneur. And so when this opportunity came up, when I searched and found this opportunity to work with people who have uh, developmental delays and uh, intellectual disability, I decided to get into it. It With the ultimate aim of also owning my own company in that aspect.
0: I see, okay. So you you had this event planning company and, what sorts of events were you planning at first? Because I think you ran this company for several years before you left the country.
1: So that again, I didn't get that, that comment because it, it didn't it didn't come out clear.
0: What sorts of events were you planning?
1: Okay, so we we manage events. The way I would describe it were events that uh, cut across the whole spectrum of uh, human life. So in Nigeria, when we met, when, uh, sisters and mothers and wives give birth we celebrate it a lot so we are people that celebrate uh, child dedication for example too so from child dedication down to burials, all of these calls for celebration uh, and because the weather is far better than it is in canada most of these things are done outdoors and so we we're in a country that have the sunlight for like the whole of the year so there are a lot of Events that to celebrate, there are a lot of things that that uh, were um, planned and required that kind of skill to deliver for the higher end of the of the population. And so, given my training as a banker, given the reputation I have built up for myself as somebody who can deliver without excuse, uh, the business grew very fast.
0: Mm. That's really cool. So it sounds like things were going very well for you. You were working in banking. You had this side hustle, planning events. What was the, um, at what point did you decide I want to move to Canada and why?
1: That's a very interesting question that I I haven't been asked for a long time. Um, In 2014, uh, my family and I took a trip to Dubai. We, We... we've been having these holidays that we take mostly to the uk to the us but the trip to dubai was an eye-opener in the sense that for the first time we realized that the rest of the world has actually moved far far ahead you know there are things that are that are happening uh, across the world where newer civilizations in are coming up these are uh, countries are building new structures and new um I, 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 how would i would i say reaching for great things that are not just the traditional uk us and all that um after that incident after we came back from that holiday we 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 decided that we probably we need to explore other parts of the world okay to see how living there would be in the process of that I ran into uh we then make up made up our mind to to look at Canada because um Canada was a lot more welcoming from our research and all that that we made and so we decided that okay this is the time to do it if I don't if I if we don't take this leap right now it will be challenging for us to do because we are getting bigger and the kids we are getting older now we just threw in the, our application for Canadian permanent residence and continued doing what we were doing with banking, with event planning, with uh, the careers up and down until the approvals came, and then we now had to ask ourselves: Are we really? Do we really want to do this? It was so funny because looking back now, do we really want to do this? You know, um, we here we are. We've been approved for Canadian permanent residence, and that's the point where we say to ourselves. Hold on a little bit. What are the cons? What are the pros of this decision? Yeah, you will have you will have thought that we'll have done all of that before time. But what we did was to say, okay, let's take advantage of this opportunity to apply and put in our papers. By the time we cross that bridge, we we'll get to that bridge, we will cross it, and all of a sudden, boom, we are in front of the bridge. And then we decided, okay, for the sake of the kids, uh, and also for the opportunities that will be presented to us uh, globally uh, let's do canada
0: mm. i hear that a lot with you know my family's uh, family of immigrants as well and i grew up with many immigrants and uh, a common answer that is given is that we want to give our kids the best education an education that's recognized worldwide and that's something we really take for granted here um yeah
1: no, and, and and that's a very that's a very interesting way to put it because there are so many things that we take for granted in, in Canada. Canadians take for granted one of the things that amazed me the most. In fact, one of the things that blew me out of out of <laughs> out of my seat was the idea of the food bank, for example. You know, they, they, today the food bank remains the most interesting place for me in Canada. I find the idea very, very heartwarming. Somewhere you could collect food, people take ownership and stewardship of those food and make them available to people. It's something that Canadians take for granted that some of us who come from other parts of the world and who have gone through poverty and war and strive will will appreciate duly appreciate. So there are a lot of there are so many things about Canada that people who are inside here don't regard or don't have as deep appreciation as some of us do, um, and what you just mentioned is one of them.
0: Hmm. That's really insightful. Um, so you chose uh, Edmonton as the city that you settled in, Edmonton, Alberta. Um, why Edmonton? Why not Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal?
1: The applications we sent in for the permanent residence process we actually we were heading towards Saskatoon everything was the the um, region province of choice was uh, Saskatchewan um, when we got approval a month or so or two before we we backed on the, this journey a friend of mine I disclosed to a friend of mine hey you he want to move to Canada and says, "Where are you heading to?" We say, "We're going to Saskatoon." And says, "No, I don't think you should go to Saskatoon. She should come to Alberta." So we don't know anybody in Alberta. I said, "Okay, I have a family friend in uh, Edmonton that I can talk to," and uh, that's how we found ourselves in Edmonton. And when we landed in here, we we fell in love with the city, and oh, and it, it's been the, one of the best decisions we've taken.
0: Oh wow! So you you really uh, loved it as soon as you arrived? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what do you think about the weather?
1: Um, Brutal winter weather. (laughs) (laughs) Very brutal. A different shade of cold that we didn't imagine existed. But here's one great thing about it. When we came in, we realized that every time you meet a Canadian, and uh, somebody in Edmonton, and you talk about the weather, they will just, you know, people will just talk about it in person. Uh, the snow is going to fall tomorrow. There's no very bad weather. And they buy their team Hutton's and they continue going mm-hmm. <laughs> continue with their life. And it was interesting because in some part of the world where we have visited and where we come from, say there's a, there's a rainfall, heavy rainfall, it could disrupt things, right? Say there, there are uh, uh, tornadoes things could be disrupted. I'm not saying that natural disasters don't happen and shouldn't disrupt things, but it was different that nobody was using the snow as an excuse for anything, right? People got on with their life, got their warm clothes on, buy their Tim Hortons or whatever, Starbucks, whatever, and they drive around and all that. So the, the efficiency of the city in cleaning up the road as soon as the snow falls, to ensure that people still get to walk to the places that they want, they they had to go to, was also uh, an amazing thing for us. Yeah, because different experience.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, when my family arrived in Canada, I think we, it was either Calgary or Edmonton where we first arrived, and it was in uh, November or just De- early December, and we have video footage of my dad and and my brothers would just sit on the in front of the door and look outside and uh they'd just be so bewildered by what they were looking at it was really it was really cold and um, i think less than a month later we we took a a train down to southern ontario where we settled
1: yeah and and that's understandable 60 percent of the people who come from my country end up in ontario yeah 60% Sixty percent because the weather is a little closer to what they, they're used to. Um, but frankly speaking, I don't know what to make me leave Edmonton. I don't know. Right. right now. I don't know. I'm so I'm so used to Edmonton, I'm so at home here that it would take a lot to move to Edmonton, maybe as an MP. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, there's something to be said about you know harsh weather. It really instills a certain kind of character in people. Um, so maybe that's that's part of the the charm.
1: Yeah, maybe, and also the fact that it's a beautiful city for the for the period that you know even. In the midst of the snow and everything, you could just see how white everywhere, where everywhere is, and that also is so colorful in its own, even though it's just white. Mm-hmm. It's very, very um inter- interesting. And then during the summer, um, how the grass, the grasses all come up again, um, the resilience of those grasses. I was discussing with my wife yesterday. I say I've never seen anything more resilient in this life than. Canadian <laughs> uh, they, they just, they just go and uh, hibernate, and then you think that they're all there with that mountain of uh, snow on top of them. And then once the spring comes up, in less than two weeks, they're all shining again. So those are all experiences. Those are the lessons I learned from living in Edmonton, and I truly love it here. I Ooh. love Edmonton.
0: That's amazing. So you arrived in Edmonton, uh, and... You you have this section in your book where you talk about the first seven days when you arrive to a new country. You get uh, your social insurance number, maybe you start a bank account, get your driver's license, um, health card, get your health card sorted out. Um, did you write that chapter from experience, or did you have to learn those things the hard way?
1: Uh, well, in that chapter, I mentioned in passing that you need to um, get – about driver's license, that you, there's a chapter. Uh, I did get a full chapter to driver's license. That outside the seven, um, the seven first seven days, because you obviously can't get your driver's license in Canada in seven days. The most of the things I wrote in that book were from our own hard experiences, and the experiences of people who came in after we did, because we had been helping people from our, our community and all the places who had looked up to us or um, sort of a help, giving them ideas. And also the experience I've had working with some of the non-governmental agencies in uh, in town. So most of the book, most of the things, the experiences we have there, particularly that the two of the second chap- chapter of the book, uh, yeah, were personal to us. So where you have to get your um, health care card, your, social security number and all that. Yeah.
0: I see. And what was your first job when you, when you, um, started working in Canada?
1: I worked with uh, TD bank in Canada as a credit assistant again in banking. Mm-hmm. And I decided, okay, I have had enough of this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, what made you have enough?
1: The role was funny in the sense that it was something that i had done the equivalent of what i did at the beginning of my career years back number one yeah number two was everybody comes in when you come into canada people tell you to find a foot in the door which is which is a way to say come in and start something okay but sometimes that advice does not recognize the experience you've had the education that you've had uh, before you came into canada and, and if you don't manage your, yourself and your career well, you, you get stuck into that um, low level or entry position, even when everything about you know, you know that you could do better than that. That's number two. Number three is, I, I made this analysis. I said, I'm coming into Canada at the age of about 45, 46 and I was going to go carry a mortgage, okay? And the average average age or tenor of a mortgage in Canada is about 25 years. I added that 25 years to my age. I realized that by the time I'm 70 or thereabout, I'll still be paying mortgage. And so the only way I could make any sort of dent on that challenge would be to look for something that will be entrepreneurial. Okay. And working in the bank, like I explained to you, it will not cut it for me. So I just came back one day. I said to my wife, you know what? I'm going to look for something that I can have as a business and I'm going to go there, go walk, learn as much as possible, get the education that's relevant to it, and then find a way and set up my own and and, uh, take the necessary risk and run with it.
0: I see. So your aspiration to get a mortgage, own a home, uh really led you down the path of entrepreneurship
1: i have always been an entrepreneur from nigeria so i've always found opportunities where people think there are no opportunities when i started doing that event planning people didn't didn't think it was anything but i brought in this culture and um, this um, dedication to it and then uh, made something out of it and here again i i came in here i the same mindset what is it that i can do because i didn't i didn't just want to come to canada and just become a paid employer i wanted to contribute i just i i wanted to contribute in the sense you know to make sure that i do not just um become an uh, the average person you know um i need to do something that will give opportunities to other people so it, it wasn't just about the mortgage what the mortgage obviously is part of the calculation but the broader thing is that the idea to create something that can last be, uh, even long after I'm gone is part of what is driving it.
0: Mm. So in addition to financial freedom, you wanted to have creative freedom and also build a legacy. Absolutely. Mm. So you were done with uh, banking and uh, you know what was your next pivot? It's, it's It looks like uh, you took a keen interest in in social work and and, um, community work. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm still doing social work. I work right now as a team lead in in, uh, uh, an organization that caters to people with developmental delays and intellectual disability. I went to school to get a certificate in disability studies. So right now I'm a disability practitioner and I found that work more, far more enriching than I will have ever found um, banking because I guess I was still bored with banking, but this is a different challenge. And there's something about working with people at the margins of our society um, that makes you realize that everything is not about hard-hitting targets and numbers and, and figures and um, moving balance sheets up and down. There are, there are more to life. So I see people who come under my care, uh, and we manage them from the one and stabilize them and get them to live the best possible life they can. And it's something that has given me more interest, um, more, um, I find more interesting, as it were, than uh, banking.
0: That's really well put yeah you
1: become a, lo- a lot more grateful for what you have you become a lot more um less entitled for sure you realize that you can't complain as much as you should and then you are grateful okay you are grateful and i've always been this person that after sometime after banking i will do something that will help me give back I thought about philanthropy, etc., etc. When I was back in Nigeria, I started it on a small scale, but this is different. This is more or less like every single day I go to work. I'm, I, I realize that I am making a difference. You know, we hear this cliche among politicians and uh, people, you know, about making, making a difference, but truly, truly, I'm living a difference. I'm making a difference in the life of people.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And, um, I want to circle back to kind of the some of the topics in the book uh, that you wrote. And one of the chapters is about Canadian work culture. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned that there are differences in Canadian work culture compared to, let's say, Nigeria or other countries. Um, and one thing that stood out to me was that you, uh, you wrote that uh, people like to be asked what to do, but not told what to do. And I, as soon as I read that, I thought that was so true. You know, I'd, I'd never realized that, uh, you know, when somebody tells you what to do, it's, it's so foreign in the Canadian workplace. Uh, every time I'm, you know, quote unquote, told what to do, it's in the form of a question. Uh, and when somebody tells you what to do directly, they sound mean. Uh, but, uh, you know, that might not be the case everywhere. So could you tell me a little more about that experience and how you realized that?
1: It, 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 so I have been in leadership positions all my life. And where I come from, leadership positions means you are, you are, the, you are the guy in charge, you take charge, you tell people, you ask people about things to do, um, you are making sure that you are coordinating everybody's efforts, inspiring the team, of course, motivating them, sharing their vision. It sometimes involves you uprightly demanding, as we are, to say you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. So when I came to Canada, I realized that nobody tells you do this, do this, do that. No, it was like, do you want to do this? Do you want? And so. I, I, for somebody who is not used to that culture, you would think that they're just asking you if you had a choice, <laughs> like like really, do you do you want to do this means there's a choice for you to say, no, I don't want to do it. but that's not that's not a, the way it is. It's actually a reverse form of politeness as it were, because Can- Canadians, we are polite. I, I began to realize that if you were to move as strongly as what we' are used to, you will seen to be very bossy, OK? And Canadians don't, don't like being bossy. There's, there's a difference between being assertive and being aggressive, even though there's a very thin line between it. But Canadians might be assertive, but we are not aggressive. And so it took a, 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 a change in my mind, a kind of mindset set to appreciate that cultural, change, cultural shock and the, the, the difference. So in the world culture, when your boss is asking you, please, could you, do you want to do this? He's actually not giving you the option to say, no, I don't want to do it, or no, yes, I don't want to do it. He's just politely asking you to do stuff. So if you come from that culture where bosses demand, uh, you will misread it, and it becomes a problem. Uh, Now that I'm I'm talking to a couple of many employers, uh, I said to them, you need to appreciate these cultural differences when you employ immigrants, okay? I'll give you another example. When you are talking with people from my culture, um, looking somebody in the eye, maintaining maintain eye contact is could be disrespectful, right? From where we come from. Hmm. So it would look like I'm staring you in the eye, I am being disrespect to to you now in the Canadian work culture if you're talking to me and I can't maintain eye contact it seems as if you are shifty therefore you are unreliable there's something you are hiding so you see some of the challenges that foreign trained professionals have to face when they come into the workforce here and because employers are already used to one's way of management one way of seeing things the ones they were born in, the ones they were bred in, the ones they they grew up in, they feel that the other part, the other part is wrong, totally unacceptable, and not something that can be managed. That's why immigrants are always the last to be hired and the first to be fired.
0: Because of that cultural difference.
1: Because of that cultural difference. Because the person who is managing you does not appreciate where you're coming from, have not sat down to say, okay, what is this? What is it about this person or this culture, or where have this person come from? What are the differences? Every single time we talk about these cultural differences, people expect, and rightly so, people expect the immigrants to add, to change into the Canadian way of life. Rightly so. However, the part that have not been discussed over is the employers making that little effort to appreciate that Canadian um, culture is just one, it's just one of the cultures in the world.
0: So uh, you work with people with disabilities now, and um, I'm curious as to how you um, you got into this field. You know, you said you, you studied uh, disability studies at, uh, at a college and in, in, I think it's in Edmonton. Um, and uh, you work with uh, people with developmental disabilities and so on. Um, how did you find this opportunity? H- how did you find your way into this uh, sort of role?
1: For most people who come in here, there are most immigrants who come into Canada have to face the reality that they are now in Canada, and they have to pay their bills. So some people go into so many um, low or more or less low, less uh, prestigious, less prestigious um, roles. Um, some people find the working in the social field, uh, a transitional place, somewhere they could just hang in, um, get, their, get their bills paid while they look for whatever it is that they were doing before and get back on track. However, I found opportunity in that field because the way I look at things uh, a lot more different okay i I don't look at situations the way the uh, ordinary the other person do i today i i saw that there are not many highly skilled people in the field of disability and therefore it's somewhere that i could quickly learn quickly become relevant quickly um, appreciate and develop myself and become a, a leader uh, as it were and so that's why i went to school in bow college to get the educational uh, background uh to support what i'm doing um i hope that i will become a leader in the industry uh, as well as develop this corporate training gig that i have on the side uh, that we will uh, be able to um, maximize the use of my um, skills um so going forward i hope that i am going to i will still be in the disability field like i said the ultimate aim is to have a group home uh, i want to work on myself i also want to write books and train people and that's the vision going forward i am the book is on amazon as it we are right now uh amazon.com amazon.ca is also on my landing page i'm trying to set up my uh, website which would be uh transit to canada.com uh it should be ready in the next couple of um, weeks uh, so you could also reach out to me on social media i'm on facebook in the same name that's on the book cheat C which book my instagram my twitter